Well, welcome today back in the worship center. We are so glad that you're here. And those of you that have joined us online, welcome also. We are glad that you're tuning in with us today as we worship. And it's good to be here on this holiday weekend, July 4th. And uh, I imagine if you're like me, you've experienced some of the um, differences of this July 4th from the others that we've experienced over the years. It's certainly been a unique in that way. And as we have uh, gotten used to some of it, some of it still wasn't. I'm still not used to not being able to turn on and see in the baseball game or, you know, something like that, basketball playoffs or whatever it might have been the last few weeks. And, and uh, it was just, it's kind of disturbing not to do that. But if you were really into, you got to have live competition, maybe like yesterday, maybe you turn in like me to, uh, to see that event that comes on every 4th of July, the Nathan's Famous hot dog eating contest <laughs> done this year without without fans without any audience or anything and Joey Chestnut broke his broke his record he he even without fans there to urge him on he ate 75 hot dogs in 10 minutes now that's hot dogs and buns hot dogs and buns 75 in 10 minutes that's 7.5 every minute. That's, uh, that's about every eight seconds a hot dog. Yeah. Someone asked him, not that day, but in the past, before these events, what, what do you eat leading up to these? And he said, well, for, the fir- for 48 hours leading up, I eat nothing. Nothing. Which reminds me of an old French proverb that says, every good meal should begin with hunger. Every good meal. Now, I, Nathan's hot dog, some of us may not consider that a great meal. Uh, I, I doubt that French cooking would consider that a great meal. But, but we have this, this uh, desire, this hunger in us that, that we satisfy with food. And so how proper is it, our beatitude for today? The fourth beatitude found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. For they shall be filled. The last three weeks, we've said, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. And we come to God that way, don't we? Many times we come poor in spirit, knowing God, I'm broken. <laughs> we come mourning, mourning our sin, and we come meekly because uh, we don't uh, dare uh, approach the throne of, of God many times uh, arrogantly at all. And, but here he wraps up this, this fourth beatitude by saying, But blessed are those who come hungering and thirsting. And he chooses those words very carefully. In fact, that word for hunger is, is a Greek word is an ardent craving. This is not just a little hunger. This is not the kind of hunger where at about 3.30 or 4 o'clock today I'm going to go, you know, I'm hungry, uh, and I'm going to go to the the cupboard or the refrigerator, I'm going to get something. Or I'm thirsty and I can just go and, you know, get something real quick. But, but it's, it's, it's a deep, it's a craving, it's an ardent craving. I'm, I'm, I'm suffering because I'm hungry. In fact, the word he uses for, for thirsty is to painfully thirst after water. It's very, it's, it's that deer panting for the water. It's, it's I got to have it. I got to have it to satisfy me. I got to have it. 
And so we come here, and Jesus is talking about craving and painfully desiring righteousness. And he links hunger and thirst, which is necessary for our human bodies for life, to a hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is necessary for our spiritual life. And he, he links those two together. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You know, doctors tell us that we are what we eat, right? You are what you eat. If you eat healthy food, and I've been trying to do that more over the last few years, is eat better and healthier food. It's, my body responds in health. But when I eat junk food, you can tell it. <laughs> when I start eating junk food, my body, you can, you can tell it. In my body, you can, my body suffers. And here Dr. Jesus, the great physician, is saying, okay, what we need to hunger for is that good food. And he says, in fact, he says we need to hunger and thirst ardently and passionately and painfully for righteousness. So before we go on any further, we got to ask here, what is righteous? You know, maybe it'd be good right now to, first of all, to take a poll. Or do a, let's, let's play a little game if you don't mind. In a minute, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And I'm going to say, if, you're one, if you consider yourself righteous, would you come over here? And those of you who don't, would you come over here, okay? And with those of you watching online, this would be a great time in the comment section on Facebook or YouTube to type in, oh, I'm righteous. It would be a great time. To, or just if you're a person with a few words, just type righteous. So, okay, uh, in just a minute I'm going to ask you to stand, Okay. Okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to do that. You know, please, please don't type in, I'm righteous. Pastor Eric will have to call you and talk to you this week. Because none of us, none of us want to, we don't want to take on that mantle ourselves, do we? We would love it. I would love it if some people who know me well would say, that's Steve, he's a righteous person. I would love that. But I'm not going to, it seems a little arrogant for me to parade myself as being one of the righteous. And so we tend not to do that. But, but so, so what do we mean by righteous? And really, when a good definition, a simple definition of, of righteousness is simply this. Righteousness is righteous, anyhow, is right. Righteous is right. Think about it a second. God, who we would say is righteous, is totally right. There is no error in God. There is no lacking in God. There is no deficiency in God. Everything about God is right. And when everything is right, everything, you have righteousness. Think about the garden in Genesis chapter 1. As God was creating the heavens and the earth, at the end of the days, he would sit back and he would say, ah, oh, it's good. It's good. And it was right. Everything about it was right. And at the end of the sixth day, he didn't say good. He said, this is very good. <laughs> 
when, it, when, it, when everything was working together, when everything was done, the plants and the animals and the sun and the moon, the stars, the rivers, the seas, everything was in place, God says, this is very good. And everything was perfect. And Adam and Eve got to enjoy this rightness. Everything was right. They could enjoy the presence of God. And we know that lasted, what, three chapters. <laughs> three chapters, and the rightness was gone. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 6, you'll see that God says this. He said, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought, he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. It wasn't right anymore. The rightness was gone. The righteousness was gone. And we live in a broken world. We live in a world that's not right. Would you agree with me? We look around and we see things happening. We say, that's not right. That's not right. We see things in our home. We say, that's not right. We see things in society. We say, that's not right. And our hearts are broken because we long for righteousness. We long to be right. And so Jesus comes into the world. And part of what he is doing is he is showing us rightness. He is helping us become right with God. But he's even so much more than that. He starts off here in the Sermon on the Mount. And some call this the Sermon on Righteousness because the sermon is really telling his disciples who he's called together along with all the other crowds that have followed him up how to live their lives out, how to live their lives as a representative of Christ, a representative of God in a righteous, right way. Five times in the Sermon on the Mount, we see these words, that word righteous. And we see that, and generally when we see righteous, it has one of typically three meanings. But the first meaning we see a lot of times is what we call a legal righteousness. A legal righteousness is when our relationship with God has been changed. Our status with God has been changed because of what Jesus did for us, not because of what we did. Because Jesus gave his life, because he sacrificed for us, we who were guilty, our legal status has been changed to innocent. We have been declared innocent before God. And so we have been, a 50 cent word that you see in the church and you see in the scriptures is justification. Righteous, legal righteousness is justification. It's being declared righteous before God. And so our relationship with God has been settled. It's been made right. Our relationship with God has been made right. But, but scholars pretty much all agree that Jesus, in here in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, is talking about much more than just our relationship with God. It's talking about our personal righteousness. And that's the second. A legal righteousness, and it's a personal righteousness. That we, we ourselves want to be right. We want to ourselves be submissive to God's will. And that's really what Jesus wanted from his disciples. He wanted them not only to know God and to be forgiven and to have that righteousness, he wanted them to live out lives. And you see it through the Sermon on the Mount. 
that exhibit a personal righteousness. Fully submitted. And so he talks about righteousness. And he talks about it again and again. So you can imagine their shock and maybe horror when just a few verses after the Beatitudes end, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus has this to say, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. If you're one of these meek, mourning, poor in spirit people, and you're telling me, Jesus, my righteousness has to exceed the guys who flaunt their righteousness? How's that going to happen? They look at these people and these men and these Pharisees, these scribes, teachers of law, and they were just, they were flaunting their righteousness in front of everyone. And Jesus is beginning to paint a portrait of righteousness that is much different than what they've seen in these leaders. Jesus' portrait of righteousness goes beyond anything that these religious leaders understood. And Jesus' call for righteousness was much greater than what these men were demonstrating. It's no longer that I, do I not murder or do I not commit adultery or do I follow this law or follow this law. Now Jesus is saying, what about your heart? What about your thoughts? What about your actions? What about your motives? All of this is part of this righteousness that Jesus is calling them to. He says, not only must you, you, you have a relationship with God, but you yourself must be righteous. A personal righteousness that he is calling them to that they are not going to live up to. And he's telling them, this, 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 as we read through here, it's not just you, it's how you relate to others. It's how you relate to your enemies, how you relate to all those around you that are watching you. What are you doing? And Jesus comes and says, you need to take into consideration that this righteousness is just not for you. It's not, for, it's, it's not just not for you, but it's for everyone. Our desire is not just that we be right, but the desire is that our homes be right. <laughs> our desire is that our workplace be right. Our desire is that our, our community be right. Our desire is that our Northeast Ohio be right. The way God intended Right? <laughs> yeah, that's what he intended. And so we say, we want it all to be right. I, I love the way that some versions of the Bible, including the New Living Translation, translates this word righteousness because it's a very accurate way to explain what this word means. And it says this in, in the NLT. It says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. You see, for Jesus, you couldn't separate righteousness and justice. 
You could not separate how we relate to God also relates to how we relate with others and that we treat others and we see others and we see, we see our community as being just. And he hungers and he thirsts for that. And so this word righteous takes on so much more meaning. One well-known conservative um, commentary, theologian, preacher, D.A. Carson, writes in a commentary on the book of Matthew, and particularly on the Sermon on the Mount, particularly in the Beatitudes, and on this Beatitude, he writes this. These people who hunger and thirst, not only that they may be righteous, but that justice may be done everywhere. All unrighteousness grieves them. All unrighteousness grieves them. And, and Carson is saying this beatitude, these teachings of Jesus are not just that I become righteous, not just that I get right with God, but that the, especially the church have a message to go out and that we all need searching for rightness with God. We are all searching for justice. And so there's a third type besides a legal righteousness, besides a personal righteousness. And in the Gospels and in Jesus' teaching, there's always a social righteousness. There's always that our desire that things be right again, that our community be right. And when we don't, when we see injustice, we say it's not right. It's not right. We want to look at our world. We want, don't we want to look at our community just as God did at the, at, the, at the Garden of Eden and say, ooh, it's good. That's good. But when we look, we don't say that. We say it's broken. And it breaks our heart. And it grieves us. And that's what he says here. It, it grieves all unrighteousness. My personal unrighteousness grieves me. But the unrighteousness I see in our communities, in our nation, unrighteousness should grieve us because it grieves the heart of God. He goes on, Carson goes on and says this, Satisfied with neither personal righteousness alone or social justice alone, they cry for both. When Jesus came, he just didn't come to give us salvation. He came to give us salvation, but he came to, so that we could be a church that would reach out and be a light to the world, a salt to the earth. And that so many times, you know, sometimes we hear, yeah, we'll stick to preaching the gospel, stick to preaching the good news of Jesus. Yes, but not that alone. God, Jesus also changes us. Jesus transforms us, and Jesus can transform our society. Jesus can transform our world. And we hunger and we thirst for that. Our desire is that we would live in a, in a healed nation, in a healed community, in a right community. We cry out for both. Our relationship with God is not just for salvation, but then once we have salvation, it spills out into the broken world. It spills out and redeems and ministers to a broken world. It's not just between me and God, but it reaches and it changes. Hmm. There are those who hunger and thirst for that kind of righteousness. And that's what Jesus said. Do we hunger and we thirst not just for ourselves, 
But do we hunger and thirst for righteousness, for justice in this world? Does it break our hearts when we see and what we see? You know, Jesus said, seek first in the, in the Sermon on the Mount the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Seek his rightness in our world. The prophet, prophet Micah put it this way. He says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. Clearly here, this, this is, if, if you wanted a description of righteousness, this is it. <laughs> this is a description of a righteous person, I believe. This, this, this person, they, they love mercy. They walk humbly. But it says they act. They act justly. It's not just personal. It's not just something I believe. It's not just something that changes my thinking. It changes my actions. And we must act justly. Jesus talks about this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about practicing our righteousness. In fact, he says in Matthew chapter 6, right after this, verse 1, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others as seen by them. If you do that, you'll have no reward for your father, from your Father in heaven. And Jesus goes on, he gives us examples, some examples. This is not all the way we practice our, we can practice our um, righteousness in many ways. But he says one way you might do it is by praying. One way you might do it is by giving your offerings. One way you might be doing it is fasting. And he says, but, but what motivation, what motivates you to do it? Is it to get a reward? Is it to get looked at? Or is it because you want to bring righteousness or justice into, into the world? You, you want to change yourself. You want to help change others. What is it? What's your motive? I remember one time my motive was not good at all. I was in third, fourth. I don't know how old you are when you're eight, nine, ten years old. I was going to summer camp as a youth. Youth summer camp, nothing like that, right? Now, isn't it nice to you get away from your parents? You go way far away. You know, that's, that's the way you go for camp and be away. Well, unfortunately, I lived in Damascus. And the French Church Quaker Canyon camp was also in Damascus. And unfortunately, my house butted up against the camp. So, so when it's time for me to go to camp, I packed up and walked next door. <laughs> you know. But I remember going as a youngster. And I remember going into the big Yurti meeting house where we would have our services in the evening or during the time with the evangelists. And I remember getting up and talking about coming to know the Lord and giving your life to Christ and all that. And, and, and I'm listening to it. And, but but he, then he made an invitation. He made the invitation. And I responded. But i got to confess, and when I tell my testimony, I, if I have a long time to tell my testimony, I usually go back that far. But i got to tell you, I, I responded more because of the offer that the evangelist made that anyone who comes front gets a new Bible. Now, I'm one of those guys who, I mean, you offered me something for free? <laughs> you know, when I go to BJ's or one of these places where they got those little food things, you know, I just bring my plate and say, fill her up, you know. The wrong motive. I don't know. You know what my reward was that day, I think, probably? My reward was getting the Bible. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I was saved that day. I don't know. But, uh, 
But what's our motive? And he says, your motive here, your motive isn't is just to be seen. It isn't just to, 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 to go through and get, get the, the reward for doing your good deed. Your motive must be to help bring righteousness into this world. Some of us think a lot of times that righteousness is what we don't do. Well, I no longer do this, no longer do that, no longer do that, no longer do that. Jesus is saying here, when you practice your righteousness, when you do your righteousness, it's something that you do. In fact, it's important, I think, to know this. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness also practice their righteousness. If you hunger and thirst for your righteousness, you've got to practice our righteousness. You know, there are some people who, who, I think, practice righteousness, but they don't have hunger and thirst. And there are some people that practice righteousness because they have a hunger and thirst. And Jesus says, you need to be the ones that are practicing it because you hunger and you thirst for it. Do we hunger and thirst, or do we care? You know, one of the things I've noticed over the years, that one of the first signs of illness is a loss of appetite in many cases. One of the first times signs of sickness is a loss of appetite. I wonder if Jesus is looking at people, especially maybe some leaders, some scribes, some Pharisees. He says, you're sick. You're sick. Where's the hunger? Where's the thirst? For rightness, for righteousness. Where's your hunger to see justice personally, socially, with others? In fact, as I read my Bible, and even later through Matthew, I don't think not practicing our righteousness is even an option. I don't think it's an option with Jesus. When he comes to the end of the book, or near the end of the book in Matthew chapter 25, when he's wrapping things, every, everything up and he calls the nations before him and he calls some goats and some sheep and he says, sheep, you come over here to my right. And he's just been talking about being in prison and being fed and, and being clothed and, and all of that. And the nations, the sheep come over and they're confused. And they say this, Verse 37, then the righteous, did you get that? The righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you some drink? When did you were a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did you see, when did you, we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Jesus doesn't give us an option for the righteous. He says we need to practice our, our righteousness. We not only need to have righteousness, we need to practice it. It's what he says and what he calls himself for and to in Luke chapter 4 when he goes back to Nazareth, when he, when he stands up and he's, he's preaching in the synagogue there. He says this, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom 
for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came to make things right, to make things right, to, to bring righteousness into our world. He goes on, well, Isaiah describes it this way. In Isaiah 117, he says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widows. And I think what it all comes back to is basically what Carson had to say through his quote and through what we hear from Jesus is we just can't have individual personal righteousness, but social righteousness, social justice must be a part of our righteous living also. We must be out working to help correct the rights, the wrongs that we see. Take up the cause. Take up the cause. Take up the cause. What is it in your life? What is it that you're called to take up the cause for? What is it that wrecks you like it wrecks God? What is it that you are hungering and thirsting to see right? You say, boy, that's just, that's just something I need to, it needs to be right. What is it? I believe God's call is not just a personal righteousness, but to go about helping make this world right. We do that in our activities here at the church. In fact, if your cause is, is homelessness, if, you're, if it wrecks you that we have people in this community, in the Cleveland, Northeast Ohio community, they're homeless. What can we do? Well, you could help us as we have partners with City Mission and Project Hope on the East and West. We'd love to help you come along beside us. If you're, if you're wrecked by human trafficking, if that wrecks you, Join our Friends for Freedom group. Be part of what's going on there. They'd love to have you join them. If it wrecks you that there are people in this planet that don't have clean drinking water, you know one of the things we support, one of our ministry partners is World Renewal. Boy, it's been a privilege to be involved in putting um, wells in Tanzania and Haiti and bringing drinking water, fresh drinking water people around the world. If you're broken, if you're broken by the plight of the immigrant in our society, just east of us, a ministry partner, love working with Alan and Phyllis Brown. As we minister with those trying to learn English as a second language, some of us have problems with English as a first language. <laughs> Does that break your heart? Does the tragedy of unborn children being slaughtered, break your heart. If it does, what can you do? You can join our ministry partner with our, us and our ministry partner, the Human Coalition, reaching out to women, helping them as they go through this decision-making process, educating, providing help, providing assistance, providing love, providing care. Maybe you are wrecked, and this has hit us so recently by the racial and ethnic prejudice in our society. What can you do? You can join our bridge group and be part of that. But even this week, uh, you may not know it, but this week is Mentor Racial Justice Week. Mentor Racial Justice Week in cooperation with the police department. A group has 
doing activities this week, and next Friday we'll be a march through Mentor. And Pastor Eric and Will Davis of our church are leading our group that will be there. In fact, Pastor Eric has been asked to give the invocation for that event. How can we be involved? What wrecks you? Boy, when it wrecks God's heart, it should wreck our heart. I remember back in, what, third, fourth chapter of Genesis, when things started going bad, the first murder, Abel was approached by, or Cain was approached by God, and his response was, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah. Yeah, we are. We are our brother's keeper. It's our, it's our calling to hunger and thirst after righteousness and then bring rightness into those who are hurting in this broken world. And the fulfillment we get, the satisfaction, just whets our appetite for that ultimate satisfaction when Jesus Christ comes again, when we are in a new heaven and new earth and all is right. There will be a day when all is right. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. All is right. That day's coming. We will be filled. We will be satisfied. But in the meantime, we get these glimpses and moments of satisfaction when we see justice, we see righteousness. How hungry are you? How thirsty are you? If you're not thirsty and you're not hungry, that's the first sign of sickness. A good meal, ah, that starts with hunger. Where's your hunger today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the hunger that you've given us, Lord, the desires that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would be instruments in bringing grace and truth and mercy into a broken world. Lord, whatever it is that wrecks our heart, and we look at these lists, and Lord, boy, we look at all these, and, and we say, these all wreck our hearts. Maybe, maybe I can't be involved in all of them, but Lord, there's something I can do to bring righteousness into the world, to hunger and thirst after this righteousness that, is, that makes a world a better place, that makes it more like you intended it to be, more like it was designed to be in the beginning. Lord, we know we are not going to get there all the way, but Lord, help us in your calling to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to care for those, to bind up the wounded, to share with those who are in need. And help us, Lord, to exhibit, to act out our righteousness. And we thank you for the gift of righteousness that you've given to us through Jesus Christ, whose in powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. I think um, each time this week when I start to feel literal hunger, I'm going to remember these scriptures and remember these words. It's a good reminder for us.
Um, if you're joining us with, with us online, I just want to say, isn't it wonderful that we can just be the church together in spirit, despite the challenges and the difficulties that we have? So if you've logged online and you're joining us, I'm so glad to be together as the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, I want to say, uh, as you... Pastor Steve has mentioned some of these different ministries that we partner with. Uh, these are all in our on our website. If you want to go to whfriends.org, it gives you information about how to make a connection. And you can connect with me during the week and uh, talk about Friday for if you want to join us for the march. Um, now we're going to take uh, some time to dismiss. And uh, much of this will be the same if this, you're returning back from other weeks. Um, of course, this would be a lot easier if we didn't like each other. But, um, but because we do, it, it gets a little bit more challenging. So uh, in just a moment, the ushers will come and dismiss all of us um, uh, one at a time. And there's two exits right there. The challenge for us is that uh, we're asking you not to congregate in the lobby area, just to go straight out and you can congregate outside. And uh, hopefully that'll be a time for us to experience a little church, you know, time together with the church family. So if you could just uh, be patient with us, we'd ask that you'd uh, graciously be patient as the ushers dismiss so that we can adhere to the protocols of uh, physical distancing. So God bless you. Glad that you're here. We look forward to connecting with you further, whether it's next Sunday or uh, throughout the week. So God bless you.